Hey there, and welcome to the Refuge Podcast. We're a podcast at Crossroads Community Church here in Nampa, Idaho. And here at the church, we believe in being a place of refuge, transformation, and partnership. I'm Charlie, and I'm a pastor here at the church. And I'm Ryan Brown, and I'm also a pastor at this church. That's right. We're joined, uh, normally we're joined by our very own Scott Pearl, but today we have a special guest, Ryan, who actually got to preach uh, this past week with Pastor Jim on time. Um, but why don't you kind of tell us who you are and what you do here at the church? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so I'm the youth pastor here. Um, kind of new, kind of became the youth pastor in um, in like June. So I, I, I started out with the youth about a year and a half ago. Um, I just fell in like a, a director role. And, and so I've been, been kicking around with uh, Generation Now. That's the name of the youth group. Um, and and yeah, it's been awesome. Have have a great great team and and love love hanging out with those those students so it's awesome yeah man and this is your this is your first time and and i used to be a youth pastor so we got two former well a former youth pastor and a current youth pastor yeah but this is your first time in uh what we call big church big yeah? church that's, that's right, right. yeah church yeah which is funny it's not that much bigger <laughs> but um yeah so how did i mean it, how did this fit into this time series that we're in, you guys kind of came at right. it from a really different angle. It was really cool. Um, yeah. You guys did a great job sharing, but it was, it was from a different angle. So how did this fit into kind of totally. our time series that we're in? Right. Well, and the, the whole time series is just, it's been unique, right? Um, just looking at the Christmas story through this, this lens of time. So even with uh, Tim Anstein starting out, um, talking about what is time and, and setting that and, and then, um, yeah, so Jim and I, we talked about how, how God works throughout time, um, kind of all throughout human history. Um, it's not just that God acted at one point in time, um, but that God continues to act all throughout time. Um, and it was, it was really cool how him and I kind of represented that in a sense, just, um, just in, our, in, in the age gap. So representing how, how not only has God worked throughout time and, and Pastor Jim's life, but he's also worked throughout time in my life. Yeah, and Pastor Jim is a as a young man just starting out in his ministry. Yes, and I don't know if you guys just know as this a about rookie, Ryan. You, know. you can't see him, but he's he's 80 years old. No, <laughs> no, yeah, it was really cool to see the two of you up there. Um, like you said, someone who's like Jim, who's been successful, grown this church, been here for 25 years, and has seen a lot and done a lot, and really, I think, is still in the prime of his. You know, his effectiveness because of how much time he has here at this church and you just beginning in that process, but still God using both of you to really come at this message in a cool way. I thought it was very, very cool how you guys did that. So we're going to listen to this message. It's a, it's a different one. Like I said, we got um, not only Pastor Jim's voice, but, but Ryan, and then uh, we'll come back after the message and, and talk about it. Small. <laughs> Insignificant. The least. Chosen last. Overlooked. Unnoticed. Unimportant. Invisible. Christmas can be a joyful time, 
but it can also be a reminder of what is not happy and good about life. Especially when we see others in our life seeming to experience joy. As a youth pastor here at Crossroads, but also in general, I've noticed a culture of comparison. We feel like our life isn't significant when we don't have the newest phone, the latest brands of clothes, or the better car. We feel that our life is unimportant when we scroll through social media and see those in our life seemingly experiencing a meaningful life, finding happiness and joy. And it often causes us to feel like our lives are unnoticed when we aren't experiencing it on that heightened level. Christmas can be a time where we are reminded of and feel insignificant, overlooked, and unimportant. And we may feel insignificant for various reasons. We may feel invisible because of our age. Hmm. Like we are too young or too to make old. a difference now. Or too old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's a struggle, isn't it? Hmm. Young people not knowing how we think. Right. Us not knowing how you think. Right. I do remember, though, that moment at Starbucks. Do you remember that time? I'm not proud of this, Jim, but yes, I do remember it. We were there together with our computers, and Ryan said to the old man, I can't get on the internet. <laughs> and so I took your computer, Ryan, and I had to push a few buttons, and I got you on the internet. That was a beautiful moment. Yeah, very beautiful, yeah. Yeah, I've tried to forget about that. Yeah, but, uh, I can understand. No, we, we feel like we can be the least because of the struggles that we have. Mm-hmm. We think, no, God can't, God can't use me, especially since I struggle with anxiety or anger or pride. And we feel overlooked because of our abilities or our disabilities. Yeah. We look around and we see his charisma, her leadership skills, their many talents, and we start to doubt the ways that God has gifted us. But overall, I've noticed this deep sense of hopelessness Hmm. that's brought on by a lack of understanding life's true meaning. And I believe that when we get lost in these feelings, when we get trapped into believing in our own insignificance, that we experience hopelessness because we don't understand that often God turned things upside down and used the least and the most insignificant to be major players in the story that he's telling. That's right. Often God used the least And God uses the least to do the most. Did you know that a Jewish man would only mention the men in his lineage? (laughs) But in Jesus' genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, he mentions five women. Think about Tamar, 
the woman in Genesis who becomes a widow and is wronged not just once, but twice by Judah. Ruth, the Moabite widow, she, she was not just a Gentile, but she was also a Moabite. And Israelites, they, they hated Moabites. They were one of their biggest enemies and they looked down upon that people group. And there's yet God Rahab. used there's Ruth. Rahab too. Yeah. There's Rahab. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. Yeah. The prostitute from Jericho. That's right. Right. And there's Mary, the lowly teenage mother. But there's another one whose name is not mentioned. Yeah, the fifth one. Yeah. Well, she's referred to as Solomon's mother. <laughs> Who's Solomon's mother? Bathsheba. Hmm. Isn't it interesting that even in the story of David's lineage, a shameful story like that is included. Hmm. Those things that we don't really want to talk about anymore. We've swept that under the rug. As my grandpa used to say, I don't like to look at our family tree. There's too many people hanging from ropes. <laughs> we don't want to talk about that. But there she is. Right. And those things took time. Right? God acts throughout time. That's right. But in his time, not always ours. Beauty comes because God promises that he makes all things beautiful in his time. Beauty doesn't just happen. It's not just a natural result of life. In fact, sometimes the very things that we don't think could ever lead to beauty, actually, if God uses them, can be beautiful. My story, your story, is part of a bigger story that God is telling. If we follow after him, if we do his will, he will take even those unmentionable things in our lineage and create beauty. The story of Christmas, you think about the shepherds. We talked about them this morning in the lighting of the candle. The shepherds were well known in first century culture to not be high on the social status. We do know that the temple shepherds were in the area of Bethlehem. We don't know whether the shepherds that the angels came and announced the birth of Jesus to were temple shepherds. But it is interesting to note that those temple shepherds who raised the temple flock, and you're thinking, what is the temple flock for? Well, for the lambs, the unblemished lambs they used for sacrifice. And one of the things that they would do as temple shepherds, when a lamb was born that was unblemished, they would sometimes wrap them in cloth to make sure that they didn't become blemished. Was it to them that the angels came? Either way, they were still shepherds. Not respected anymore. In fact, this was the night shift shepherds. <laughs> Not the cream of the crop, right? Think about Galilee, where Jesus spent 
85 to 90% of his three years of ministry. Most of the stories in the Bible that take place in and around Jerusalem take place in the last weeks of Jesus' ministry. 85 to 90% in a town in the area of Galilee. Capernaum and Bethsaida and Chorazim, those, those areas that most of Israel considered Hicksville. It wasn't the metropolis. It wasn't the downtown, the city where all the action is. It wasn't where the temple was. And he went there. And then he chose disciples who were probably not the best. Why do we think that? Perhaps because they were actually plying their trade. What does that mean? Well, they were young, and we have all sorts of reasons to believe that they were young, but sometimes men that age were still in school because a rabbi thought that they had what it took to become a rabbi, so they would still be in school. But somewhere along the line, a rabbi would look at a student and say, you know, I tell you what, you've done well, but you don't have what it takes. Go ply your trade. And so Jesus picks not from the school, but instead those who are alongside the shore mending nets, those who are collecting taxes, the working class, not the cream of the crop. It reminds me of, of the Christmas story and how Bethlehem was not a major city, although it was prophesied that the Messiah was to be born out of there. In Micah 5.2, it's prophesied, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, are only a small village. Among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. And in Matthew 5, excuse me, Matthew 2, 4 through 6, the priests and the teachers of the law are, are testifying to King Herod that the Messiah was to be born out of the least of the cities of Judah. Mm -hmm. It's important that we understand that they understood it was the least of the cities. It seems as though God can take what we would consider the least, the last. And throughout time bring about something beautiful. Micah 5.2 is a prophecy that the prophets, other prophets knew about. You see, sometimes Israel would be put into captivity because of her disobedience. And under the, the time, during the time of Jeremiah the prophet, Israel was taken captive by Persia. And Jeremiah the prophet said they the people of Israel will be in captivity for 70 years. And literally, at the 70-year mark, Cyrus, king of Persia, felt a burden in his heart to send some of the Israelites who were in captivity in what we now know as Iran back to Israel. So he appointed the prophet at that point to determine who would go back and to which cities. The reason being is that he needed a tax base and he needed to secure that area as his own. And so Ezra, the prophet, was chosen to choose those who would go back. Ezra chose 50,000 Israelites. And then he picked 10 cities from Israel 
to which they would go back and repopulate. Eight of those cities were Jerusalem and above, the northern kingdom. That was where most of the action happened. That's where the, 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 the passageway from the world went through there on their way to Europe and Africa and Asia. Those are the most significant cities, but he chose two southern Judah cities. And the first one he mentions is this insignificant little town named Bethlehem. Why? Because he wanted to remind those who are returning to Israel, do not forget the reason we occupy this land. It's so that the Messiah of the world will come. So insignificant? He understood Micah 5.2 that out of you will come Messiah. Yeah, and Bethlehem, though small and though overlooked, it was where three really important events happen in the biblical narrative. The story of Ruth and Boaz right. takes place in Bethlehem. Ruth, being a Moabite, looked down upon by the Israelites. She was also a widow, which meant that she was on the bottom of society's heap mm -hmm. with no way to provide for herself, no way of sustainable income or living. And yet, through her obedience to the God of Israel, her story gets reversed. A man named Boaz redeems her family by marrying Ruth. And did you know that, that the book ends with the birth of Obed? <laughs> but not only a birth, but also the promise of a redeemer who would later be born in this small, insignificant city. And the book of Ruth ends with this verse. He, the redeemer, shall be a restorer of life and a nourisher of old age. He makes all things beautiful. He makes all things beautiful. In his time. Yeah. But this baby Obed wasn't just a nobody. <laughs> Obed was the grandpa of King David. Right. And it is in this insignificant town that King David gets anointed as the second king of Israel. But he wasn't man's first pick. We like to think of him as this handsome, young, charismatic leader, kind of like Jim. Can you give him a raise? This thank you, Ryan. <laughs> You're welcome. I think you need glasses, but thank you. <laughs> but in fact, David was the eighth pick. Yeah. Have you ever been picked last before? Keep going. <laughs> The eighth pick, right? Because he was small and he was young compared to all his seven other brothers. And yet God reveals that man looks on the outward, but he looks at what's on the heart. That's exactly it. And it's through David's family line that God makes a covenant with David that the Messiah would be born through his family line. Right. And Ryan, we were talking um, we've talked for quite a while since you've been working here at Crossroads. Um, our stories are somewhat similar. We're not going to get into the gory details of that, but um, I think it's safe to say that neither one of us thought that God would be able to use 
us. Because of the brokenness, the um, things that didn't fit together so well, and yet we believe in a God who makes things beautiful in his time because he works throughout time using all those pieces. Bethlehem is such a beautiful story. I love the place. If you ever get to go there, especially in the spring when you are able to see the green, these are the shepherd's hills of Bethlehem. Yeah, you can see the city encroaching. We're just five miles south of Jerusalem here. And I hope and pray that they don't build on these shepherd's fields, but this is a place I like to take people where we sit and we reflect on this very story. Shepherds in the field watching their flocks by night here, right here. I like what Jack Beck says, the best divine solutions for the worst mortal problems come from Bethlehem. And this little place, right? The story that God has been telling for hundreds of years, piece by piece, the crescendo happens right here. And the Savior of the world enters into our time to tell us what only he could tell us. Born in the lowliest of villages, in the lowliest of beds, a feeding trough, to a lowly and looked down upon teenage unwed mother. And the beauty of this moment is unmistakable. All of those broken pieces woven together, culminating right here. In a town called Bet Lachaim in the Hebrew. Bet is house. Lachaim, bread. Why? You saw the picture of the valley. It is prime grain growing area. There are two crops a year that come out of there. But in between the cutting of the crop, they let the sheep go into the fields to eat the stubble, but also to, well, um, fertilize the ground. They back the mac out, they plant, and here the bread of Israel is grown. House of bread. And here, in the house of bread, the bread of life is born. The very thing you and I need for sustenance is given to us here on this night. Seems God uses the things that we think are insignificant to play a part in his story. And he makes all things beautiful in his time and his timing is always perfect. That's right. Even when we get frustrated and impatient because we don't see the bigger picture, his timing is always perfect. 
God can make anything or anyone beautiful. He can use the least, the unimportant, and the overlooked to be partners with him in the story that he's telling. That's right. Thank you, Ryan. And even in sharing this moment with Ryan, we are a part of what God has done over the centuries, and that is one generation passes on to the next generation and the next generation and the next. In fact, we have a responsibility as a church to be not just coming and hearing, but participating in the raising up of believers and disciples and leaders. So from time to time, when you see others here in this pulpit teaching, Beth and Jeff and Tim and Ryan and others, it's an opportunity for you to be involved in the shaping of the next generation of leaders. They need your encouragement. That's your job. And I'm reminded of that this morning. Ecclesiastes 3, the theme of this whole series, reminds us that for everything there is a season. We don't necessarily like those seasons. Oh, we like some of them. But those difficult seasons where we don't understand, where it feels maybe that God has forgotten us, or maybe that he has prolonged this season longer than others, we realize that over time, God works in all of it. See, a time for everything. But as we come to the end of that passage, we notice verse 11, and that is this, that God has made everything beautiful in its own time. Because he works throughout time. In this series, we've looked at the fact that time, as we understand it, is something different than how God sees it. God has his own time. He created time as we know it. He was before time. For the time that we understand has a beginning and it will have an end. But he didn't just act before time. He entered into time through Christ. And the very story of his birth demonstrates he not just acted within time, but he has been acting throughout time. Have you ever looked at the back of a tapestry? You might look at the front and see a beautiful, woven work of art. But when you turn it around, it doesn't make sense. There are threads hanging there are pieces and parts that don't seem to make sense in the whole, and yet you turn it back around and you see the art. Oftentimes, we don't see what God is doing in us. We see the backside. We're aware of all the hanging threads, all the pieces and parts that we think cannot in any way fit into this beautiful thing that he says he's creating. And yet, that's what he does. 
throughout time. You know, Beth, when she put this whole thing together, said this, that when we are fearful of what eludes us, we become slaves to the God of time. Instead of walking in freedom, boldly aware that there is a God who created time and enacted powerfully within it. You see, Jesus is the embodiment of God's perfect time. He acted before there was time, within time, throughout time, at the right time, and regardless of time. He has been at work and will be continuing to be at work. And the pieces and the parts of your life to him make sense. <laughs> he invaded our world. Jesus did. He lived in our time with all of its limitations in order to speak to us and to say to us what only he could say. That he loves us. That we matter. And that he can take everything, every part of our lives and make something beautiful out of it. He used the powerless then. Even the shameful stories that we would rather not bring back up. <laughs> those things in our lives that we, well, we've moved past those. We're not proud of. And yet God can use that to shape us to teach us, to mature us, to sanctify us, to do in us what he wants to do through us. But you see, when he does that and when we allow him to do that, we are constantly reminded of our unworthiness. I've tried this with God. I've tried giving him a list of all the reasons he ought not work with me. <laughs> he doesn't listen. I've wondered at times, why me would you use in this particular situation? Why? There's never an answer. You at times might think, well, I can understand why God would use him or, or her. But I'm too broken. I've made too many bad decisions. Or there have been things done to me that have permanently harmed me. God can't use that. Hmm. God used the powerless throughout time to bring about the most powerful story ever told. And he made something beautiful out of those stories. You know, the Apostle Paul understood that. He was a, a, a Jew of Jews. He was the cream of the crop. He was the guy who didn't go apply his trade. He was actually rabbi material. He was head of the group of people that persecuted Christians 
when the church started out. But he was radically converted on the road to Damascus. He was on his way to gather up more Christians. He was at that time what we would consider today a jihadist. Paul, the jihadist. He killed believers. And God radically changed him. But in the process of his own conversion and transformation, not only did Christians not trust him, the Jews turned against him. And so he found himself between. And in that process, he explains all of the things that he went through, the beatings, being left for dead on more than one occasion. Perhaps with permanent disabilities left as a result of all of those things. He'd been emptied of any pride he had. And he considered himself the chief of all sinners, the one least worthy to carry the message of the good news. And yet, he changed the world. And he spoke these words to a church at Corinth. He said this, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. <laughs> and he chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. If you've seen God use you powerfully, come back to this passage. It's rather humbling. He chose the fools like me and you. The broken stories, the hanging threads, the things we don't want to mention, the things that we're not proud of. And he weaves all of that throughout time and makes all things beautiful. Ecclesiastes reminds us that in the seasons that we don't understand, he's consistently there doing what only he can do. And in his time, throughout time, he took the insignificant and made it beautiful. That's why Paul also says to the church at Rome and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. All things, not most things, not some things, all things. There is not anything in your life that he wastes. He uses it all. And he weaves it together into something beautiful as you allow him to do it. He takes the overlooked and he uses them powerfully. 
The most beautiful story ever told happened in the insignificant city of Bethlehem. And from there came the very bread of life. So, tell me again why you think he couldn't work in you and through you? He took off all of the unspectacular pieces of history and made a beautiful story of redemption. And he entered into time in order to take our brokenness and make something beautiful out of it as well. What could he do with your story? Would you bow your heads with me? If we do not understand how the story of Christmas is the culmination of so many stories that did not make sense throughout time. We will have a hard time understanding that God could use the broken pieces of my life and use it for good. What are those things? Those things that you have tried to put in the back of your mind, those things that you are embarrassed to think about and even talk about. Would you allow him to use even those things to work powerfully in you and through you? I just simply want to ask a question this morning and then I will be quiet, and that is this. What is the Spirit saying to you? And what do you say to the Spirit today? Yeah, man, you guys really did a nice job. I remember watching it and just thinking how funny you guys were. I thought you guys like Abbott and Costello, like taking it on the road, <laughs> man. You guys are hilarious. I love the, the Wi-Fi story. You know, to your eternal shame, people will come up to you yes. now and be like, you're the millennial who doesn't know how to get on the internet. Yes, and Jim was so proud of that moment. I'm sure he was. And he's talked about it multiple times with I was me say, I've heard it at then. least four or five times. Yeah, <laughs> yes, he was very proud of himself. And he should be, you know. <laughs> right. No, I thought that was great. I thought, again, that was a, just a great example to pull people in, help people, yeah. you know, really see the point that you guys are making. Totally. And um, I think it's like, it shows how we need each other, right? And we need each other in different ways, but but all the generations need each other and, and we're important. So Yeah, so if you ever can't get on the Wi-Fi, just <laughs> find a way to get in contact with Jim. He will, yes. help, he will hook you up. Yes. No, I thought it was great. You guys kind of, and kind of the theme, if I, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but throughout the message was really, you started off by listening, you know, you know, overlooked, insignificant, yeah. the least, right? Mm -hmm. um, how God uses the least. And I mean, this is 
pretty explicit in scripture. Paul talks multiple times that he uses the the foolish things to shame the wise, right? That God yeah. uses the low things, the things yeah. that people have forgotten. And you guys had examples throughout the lineage of Christ. Even the place mm-hmm. that he was born, Bethlehem, is seen as kind of this low thing, even though these amazing things have happened, this amazing yeah. stories have happened in Bethlehem. Yeah. I love that idea of Ezra coming back and reestablishing that, mm-hmm. but that Jesus first told his story to shepherds. And this is a point that Jim's talked about often, is the disciples were not the top picks. Right. You know what I mean? If this was a draft, they would have been very low. Like they're, they're yeah. undrafted. Right. Yes. And no one cares, yeah. you know, and let alone and you, I think you're the one who said this, but the King David was the eighth pick. Right. You know, I love yeah. that picture of him like, Oh, he's out in the fields. Cause we forgot about him, yeah. you know? Um, so where did that, where did that come from? And kind of, how did that take shape as you guys worked on the message? This, this theme of imperfection. Yeah. Um, yeah, it kind of started out, um, I, I just started studying into Bethlehem and what had happened at Bethlehem. And um, I know uh, Dr. Jack is always trying to get us to think about, you know, what what um, what kind of place is said setting? Um, so that was kind of the first question that I asked about, okay, what kind of place is Bethlehem? What has happened at Bethlehem? Um, what are things that are characteristic about it? And so I sort of began to see this pattern emerge um, with, with Ruth, with um with David and then with Mary um kind of this pattern of like oh God using kind of the least or the insignificant um and and using him for his his big plans and purposes um and and that was just in Bethlehem but I mean you know like we like we use in the sermon and, and throughout scripture um that's just over and over again you know I think of of Moses um or and you you brought up Paul right like um these people who who were not perfect, who had these struggles, um, who often had excuses for why God should use them, uh, and yet God uses them anyways. Mm. And not only that, I think is he prefers them. Mm, right. Which, you know, for, for all of us, you know, maybe there's somebody out here who's like, I'm perfectly whole. I'm not broken at all. You know, and they're <laughs> like, oh, God can't use me. Well, no, God can use you too. Yeah. You just don't know yeah. how you're broken yet. But it's good news. And mm. um you know, people may not know this, but uh, Ryan and I are in a fantasy football league together, you know? It's true, yes. And actually, we are we have the championship coming up. He and I are facing off, and uh, I was just thinking about for us. It's, it's a big weekend. We had to fit this in, you know? No, but the reason I bring it up is, you know, there's a there's a guy this year, Philip Lindsay, who was uh, didn't get recruited in high school, hmm. you know, but then ended up doing really well in college, but still didn't get recruited, and he was he went to the Pro Bowl. He got elected to the Pro Bowl. Wow. If you're not a football fan, I'm sorry. I didn't know that, yeah. But yeah, so my brother, who's in our league with us, picked up Philip Lindsay on a whim, and he was like the second leading rusher in the NFL, <laughs> you know? And I just, what made me think of that message is one of the things that you said is that not only are people part of God's plan, but they're major players. Mm, you know, it's not yeah. like God's like, hey, I'm going to use the rock stars, but you know, you're a right. small role. No, he's like, I mean, I, I'm going to save the best role in this mm. play. I'm going to, you're going to be a pro bowl, even though you're ignored, beaten down. In fact, right. I think he loves to tell those stories. Yeah. And it sounded like, you know, we were talking about how you just felt like this was a timely message for you. And, and you and Jimbo right. said that there's, there's some of this in your, both of your stories, this idea of God using a broken person. And I think Jim even said, looking back at both of our stories, I think there are times where, you know, maybe both of you felt like God couldn't use you. So how did this feel like this was a timely message? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it was, it was just such a good reminder to me that not only has God made things um, beautiful in my life, but he's also making things beautiful in my life. So, 
the like Jim was saying with uh, I love the point that he brought up with Bathsheba. So we actually didn't talk about Bathsheba in the first service because we didn't we didn't study the genealogy of Matthew well enough, and we we didn't realize that she was included in there. So someone um, I'm not sure who it was. Uh, from the congregation came up and told Jim about that. Um, so he brought up that idea of Bathsheba and how God can even use a shameful story. So those things that we um, kind of want to leave in the past and don't want to talk talk about again, God actually wants to use those things. Um, and it, so it's just a good good reminder to me, um, just personal personal things that, that I've been through, personal things that I continue to go through, um, that God doesn't just want me to forget about those so he can you know, use me for big things. He actually wants to use those things. Those broken things are things that he wants to redeem and use, which is scary, right? Because even our shameful things and the things we're not proud of, we don't want to talk about. Um, but but that that's actually part of God's plans and purposes is to use it, those things that have been broken in us to redeem those. What a great thing for us to know. I always think of, you know, when when someone who's a, a follower of Christ, right, you know, um, is living a lifestyle and, you know, gets pregnant, you know, and we see this outward um, sign that, you know, maybe they were doing something that, that if, you know, if you're a Christian that you shouldn't have been doing out of wedlock, right? And then suddenly we're like, oh, no, you know, whoa, we can't talk about it. When in reality, it's like God's going to use that baby. God's going to, you know what I mean? Like that, that, that baby is, God's got a plan for that baby, even though it was born out of a, a shameful situation, something that that person could feel very embarrassed about. And so often, instead of bringing those people back in, like the story of the Bible would tell us to do, because I love that. That's so true. I mean, look at the stories and the things that are included in the Bible. If you were going to create a, you know, uh, propaganda story on God and how awesome God is, then you would stack it with all these characters that are just like awesome and killing it. And, you know, instead, Moses was a murderer. David killed a dude so he could sleep with his wife. I mean, like, you know, like all of these things, like these are not good people by any standards, let alone our modern standards. And yet, for some reason, we seem to treat those people like they're better than us. When I think the moral of the story is that they're not, right? But that God God uses them and God can use us in really cool ways. So what a great way to, to really say that and explain that, that he can make anyone or anything beautiful. And so as we wrap up this, you know, this once upon a time series, we're coming up on Christmas can you give us any any tidbits about what's coming? Do you know? Uh, I I do not remember what's coming. I should <laughs> know. I should know, but I don't. No, but it's been a great series. I agree. I think mm, there's been something has, cool. Yeah. And it's one of those things that I love about our church is that we have such a multitude of great teachers. Mm. You know, because I know Beth is sharing the week after Christmas. We have Jim and Jeff right. teaching on Christmas and Christmas, or the 23rd and then the Christmas Eve. And then you talked about Tim opening up this series with, you know, every time he shares, he just blows my oh, mind. Yeah, and I totally. feel like I'm back in kindergarten because I'm like, <laughs> I, I know he's speaking English, but I don't understand what he's saying. Yeah. But the the refreshing look that you guys have taken, really looking mm. at, you know, what is time? Mm. Right? What does it mean that God acts within time? You know, and then, and yeah. then Jim sharing that second week, you know, about uh, the perfect time. And then you guys sharing the God working within time. Yeah. time and within our own story because yeah. the story of the Bible is, is beautiful and it's, and it's flawed, but if we don't make it real, you right. know, yeah. then it doesn't. So if, if you don't mind me asking and you don't have to get too personal, but what are some ways that you feel like God's story is still going forward in you? What is God teaching yeah. you right now? No, totally. Um, 
Yeah, I think just, I mean, even as of recently in, in getting a chance to be involved in this, um, in this sermon series has been really cool, but, but just the reminder that God actually wants me for the story that he's telling. Um, so I, that God's going to tell his story. He's not, he's not done. Um, it, God's story didn't end with, uh, with the birth of Jesus or, or the resurrection of Jesus, but it's continuing to be told God works throughout time. So he's still working. And, and yeah, the fact that he wants me for his story and that's being told. And that's just been really encouraging for me. And, um, yeah, even just being, um, being, being excited about and taking more ownership of my role here at the church of like, man, this is, this is how I get to be a part of God's story. And, and so it's like, no matter, no matter where we're at, whether we're, um, yeah, whether we're, you know, have one of the more like glorious ministry positions, like on staff at a church. Or uh, I remember, man, when I was in college, I was cleaning toilets. And I remember that, like, that God really told me like, Ryan, this is what following me looks like right now, uh, is cleaning toilets for people and serving people. And, and so just, just that idea of, man, they're like in, in the kingdom of God, there is, there's, there's no levels. Like we're all, we all are invited into telling God's story, um, and, and to to being being a part of of His kingdom and seeing it come here on earth. So it's awesome, man. Yeah. And I think whenever I, you know you see the book Acts of the Apostles, it's like Acts it, it doesn't end, right? It continues, yeah, right. and it has for two thousand years, mm-hmm. and and it will continue on until He comes back and and makes it all right, makes it all new. No, what a great thing for and I, I think as people are listening to this podcast, right? If you're a member of our church or not you have a place and it's an important place and just like you're saying you know and i think 100 percent agree you know we have an amazing staff and some of us um you know you'd say oh you know nikki who makes food for us is absolutely 100 percent vital to the sharing of the gospel here at crossroads community church and there is no levels right that god uses her and that she is a part of this story and not only does Nikki make awesome food, but it's just an awesome woman of God, right? So why would we ever diminish what she has done in her service and the care she puts into feeding us and and advancing the gospel through her work? Um, And that's a great point. I I really think as you come to our church and as you find a place to serve, that's our our dearest hope is that you would um, come, that you would find a place of refuge, right? That you would be transformed here at Crossroads by the work of the Holy Spirit, but also that you would partner with God, that you would find a specific way that you fit into this story and join us and understand that, you know, we're on staff because we get to serve you and help you find your place in his story that he is continuing to tell and will continue to tell. And uh, that's what we get to do every week here at the Refuge Podcast. And we get to listen to some messages and really understand um, better this story that God has been telling for, for many, many years. So Thanks for joining us, Ryan. Thanks for your message that you guys did with, that you did with Jim. Uh, it really was awesome. So thanks for joining us here, man. All right. Have a great week.